Welcome to Ancient Answers, our program that discusses current and modern challenges by referring to the words of ancient thinkers that dealt with similar matters of the human condition. I am Gordon. And I'm Shane. And today we're going to do part two of our discussion about climatic impacts, well, particularly ancient history, but on history in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we, as we discussed in, our, in the first part of this episode, it is pretty astonishing when you go back through the historical record and you notice just how much of an impact climate had on ancient civilizations. And so we sort of left off on a discussion, or at least we, we touched on how volcanoes could have such a, a massive impact on, on, on culture and on history. So that was sort of where I wanted to pick up on this one. Now, the big one. The big one. Yes, the big one. The big one. <laughs> there, was, there was an eruption that took place many, many years ago. It's thought to have happened around 1645 BCE. Uh, this is the eruption of Thera. So this is in the Aegean Sea. It's modern-day Santorini. So, uh, just a beautiful <laughs> island with lots of tourism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very, very Do they really realize where they are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a beautiful island in, uh, off the coast of Greece. Um, so, again, it was a volcano that erupted in, in 1645. And if you actually look at Santorini on Google Maps, you can see the crescent shape of the bay and the volcano itself was sort of nestled right in the middle of that. It was almost like a small island within, uh, or, or an eye, I guess. Um, now, we don't have a ton of historical record regarding the eruption of Thera itself. Uh, it's most often compared to the eruption of Krakatoa in 1883. That was a big one. Uh, yeah, so with Krakatoa, 40,000 people died in the first few hours. It produced tsunamis that were 40 feet tall, caused a drop in global temperature due to dust in the ash that was kicked up, and the eruption was heard from 4,800 kilometers away. Wow. And Thera was four or five times bigger than that. Well, it, it, weather records in England and even newspapers in England reported the summer that wasn't was. Yeah, yeah, for the uh, Krakatoa eruption, yeah. Yeah, yeah, isn't that something? Well, and, and, and the fact that it was heard from almost 5,000 kilometers away, 4,800 kilometers, people heard the eruption of Krakatoa. That's Krakatoa. Now, Thera And was, Thera was, again, four or five times as powerful as Krakatoa there we was. Go. It was a, astonishingly massive. Now there's there there is a, a serious lack of human remains in and around the area of Croc- or of uh, of Thera afterwards. So it wasn't like Pompeii where people were buried in ash and we have all these these preserved bodies and whatnot. So it's ex- it's believed that they at least had enough time to evacuate Thera when they saw that the volcano was was acting up and that things were getting pretty bad. So okay, that took care of the immediate vicinity. However, it is ex- it is theorized that it was the eruption of Thera that was that resulted in the collapse of the Minoan civilization because they would get a tsunami. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, huge. The so the Minoans um, sort of a lesser known Mediterranean civilization. They were they were primarily on the island of Crete, which is located just south of Greece. Uh, and that's actually where the legend of uh, Theseus and the Minotaur, that's thought to have originated yep. there. They used a lot of bulls heads in their their decoration and they had labyrinthine palaces. Um, they were they were a fascinating Bronze Age civilization, and they were traders. They were relatively peaceful. You know, like it was all in all, it seemed like a very lovely place to live. And for the women who listened to our episode, we have evidence that men and women were remarkably equal in the eyes of civic uh, activities and mm-hmm. politics. Yes, absolutely. They were they were dynamically different from a lot of the other. Mediterranean and Bronze Age societies at the time, 
And shortly after the eruption of Thera, the whole thing just collapsed. Yeah. And now, to put things in perspective, the island of Thera, or Santorini, is only 120 kilometers away from Crete. So you can imagine Krakatoa erupted and resulted in tsunamis that were 40 feet tall. So if you can imagine mm. Thera being four or five times more powerful, you're only 120 kilometers away, you're going to get hit, you're going to get hit hard. They would have never had a warning. Oh no, all of a sudden, so like the, any, and they had a lot of, co- it was a lot of sea trading, so any coastal towns, villages, cities, they would have been destroyed, uh, their whole navy, any yeah. trading ships, like everything would have been wiped out. Not to mention that because of the sulfur dioxide that was kicked up by this eruption, it resulted in year after year after year after year of cold, wet summers. So crops were failing left, right, and center. It just, the eruption just created this domino effect that resulted in the collapse of the Minoans, which actually gave rise to the Mycenaean Greeks and to Greece itself, and it is, which was a much more aggressive, warlike, less equitable city-state Very type. much so, yeah. So you can just imagine, you know, we, we talk about the effects that these things have on history. Could you imagine if the relatively peaceful, equitable Minoans would have had a chance to expand further and keep growing outwards and, and put their influence throughout the Mediterranean, but then it was over and the whole civilization collapsed and they estimate less than 50 years. Yeah, and I mean, burgeoning uh, traders of Phoenician origin would have been affected by that. Uh yeah, the impact was huge. I mean, it's not that far to the the coast of what is now Turkey, Anatolia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. There would have been an impact there. We have less records that show it. Uh, it's hard because, you know, just 300 years later, they, the, that whole Eastern Mediterranean entered into kind of a Dark Ages. Yep. I want to be careful about saying that word, but there was definitely a Bronze Age collapse mm-hmm. uh, that happened. Now, other forces seem to be at, at work there, but... There is a bit of a gap oh, yeah. in what happened and, you know, yeah. the traces. Today, the only way we can find out is to go and look at uh, the record. But Yeah, we're looking at geological evidence at that point. Again, like we talked about the last episode, we're looking at microscopic evidence in, in soil samples and core samples that we're, we're digging down through layers of earth to get to. That's right. And and actually, the, the eruption at Thera is thought to have been the inspiration for some biblical stories because when the Bible talks about the ten plagues of Egypt... Um, some of those effects would have resulted or could have resulted from an eruption of a volcano. So uh, pollution of a river and like raining ash from the sky, days of darkness, like things like this. A flood coming up. Yeah, exactly. Like the, so it's, a tsunami would have hit Egypt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Egypt's not that far away either. So it's it's thought that this could have had some, some seriously far-reaching consequences. Well, when we talk about other places of the world, um, obviously the, the Mediterranean and the... Uh, Middle East is areas that are closely to our hearts because yeah. of our cultural inheritance that we are. But let's look at some other parts of the world that have Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about China and then a little about Mesoamerica. Okay, that's not what we touch on terribly often, actually. We don't very much because so. for, it's hard to record yeah. thinking. But um, first of all, let's, let's deal with China a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, China certainly, uh, in terms of climatic impact was a well-blessed land. That that whole eastern part of China, even today, the eastern third of China, is an area of, of abundant agricultural activity. Obviously, the population of China today is evidence because and people think, okay, China is roughly the size of the United States or roughly the size of Canada, uh, and yet the reality is roughly two-thirds of that country holds less than 10% of the population. Oh, wow. 
one third holds 90, just over 90% of the population. Jeez. So it gives you an idea of death density. But the United States... Well, so the U.S. does the same thing where the eastern seaboard is quite Yeah, the eastern seaboard and actually east of uh, the Mississippi River um, holds a good... Well, if you take California out of it, they, yeah, it holds true. 82% of the population. Okay, yeah. You know, you throw in Texas and California, it starts to even off a little bit. But... Uh, uh, and then, of course, Canada is even a greater example. It's an east-west. <laughs> yeah. uh, 50% of Canada's population is within 100 kilometers of the U.S. border. 60 miles of the, of the border. So, yeah, <laughs> we got there. Yeah. Now, you go back to China. Um, climatically, yes, we are aware that there are cycles of wind uh, patterns in the Pacific Ocean that vacillate, they go up, they happen today, we record them. They have those El Nino events that we're aware of. And uh, of course they affect both the, the Asia and they also Pacific, uh, across the Pacific affect the Americas and they flip flop mm -hmm. back and forth. Now we're seeing the flip flop happening a bit more than we think historically it happened. Yeah. But China was blessed with excellent rainfall and of course also, we have this weather pattern coming up from the Indian Ocean that goes around the west, sorry, correction, east side of the Himalayas, laying down uh, some rain that's, it does fill in the Yangtze's and the Yellow River, although they're primarily uh, supplied by glacier mm -hmm. melt from the Himalayas. But the steadiness from around 3000 to about 1200 BC was also evident through the record and again, there was a flip-flop that seemed to start to take place between 1200 and 300 BC that, strangely, coincides with a time of political unrest, hmm. uh, instability. And, you know, it wasn't really until the first emperor of around 220 uh, created sort of, strangely, coincides with what appears to be the beginnings of the solar maximum. Yeah that the Romans were also benefiting from in their early stages of their growth. Well, China then, you know, becoming the, uh, the Han dynasty, they were benefiting from the same thing. And it is interesting to realize that Chinese records show remarkably consistent crops and growth, and the rivers did not flow, overflow their banks very much or dry up. There was variations they record, yeah, of course, yeah. But the stability is is there, yeah, definitely. So a solar maximum, mm -hmm. only one percent, seemed to have given China uh, an excellent, roughly six hundred year time span well, of, of growth. We talked about the same thing in our in the in part one of this episode with the Romans, right? Where it was or same time period. Yeah, it's the same time frame, and so that. It would, it would be odd for that to just be coincidental at that point when we know that it was part of the solar cycle and we're seeing two different civilizations thousands of miles apart who are both having um, record-breaking times of prosperity, right? But here's where the interesting thing happens. Oh, okay. What's the interesting thing? Let's shift over to the Americas okay. and make a comparison. That's a big distance across yeah, the Pacific. Yeah. And yet, correspondingly, that was a period that appears to be a dry period in the Central America area. Hmm. Now, we had already seen the demise of the Olmecs, and the Toltecs seemed to just fade out. Yeah. Now, I know historians are going to maybe take a thing, but there are definitely thoughts out there by historians that the, the Toltecs 
kind of disappeared. And there's, because we have no historical record, they didn't write anything. It's all based on archaeological evidence and things like that. But it wasn't until this solar period finished that we see the solar period increase in China and in in the Roman period. Mm -hmm. When it finishes off around the year 400, 300, 400, then we see the rise of the Mayans. Okay. Because, and this is the, 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 the thought, it's not proven really, but the thought is, oh, then the weather pattern shifted globally, bringing more rain, at least more steady rain. That is actually more well, crucial. Yeah, the consistency is key in this it's to be able to rely on it year after year after year. Right. right? Because the evidence of Mayan cisterns yeah. show that they were constructed, they were used, and everything seemed to be fine from around the year 200 BC. Mm -hmm. uh, it was slow growth, but it accelerated around the year 400 AD. Well, that sort of corresponds with the decline that was experienced in China and Europe. Okay. And it seems to have been steady. So the theory is, oh, well, then maybe the weather patterns and the ocean patterns would have followed with it. Shifted again a little bit due to you know, the variations of the Earth's dynamic sort of life uh, mechanisms so that, oh, the Mesoamerica was now in steady growth because yeah. certainly the growth of the Mayan culture uh, grew very rap rapidly. Yeah, so sort of as, as one started to decline, the other one started to rise up a little bit. That's right. Okay. And then we have evidence that there's a flip-flop <laughs> around the year eight. 6880. Yeah. And although uh, there's no historical record, we, we we do get a couple of stelae in Mexico that appeal to the god of rain much more urgently than it was, but the appeals to the god of rain go up and then the man's as we all know sort of went out and took a walk in the woods and never came back. Yeah, just sort of vanished. They just sort of dispersed out into a society that declined and, and for all parts disappeared. It didn't, they're still around today. Mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to say that I find that remarkable. But as an organized society, they were where they were so weakened that when the Aztecs came along from the north, a much smaller group of people, much warlike, much yeah. more warlike, they were able to just thump on the uh, Mayans and basically take over. Well, it's sort of the same idea as when the Minoans fell to, and then the Mycenaean Greeks came in from Very the north. Very right? interesting. It's, it's, it's the same, yeah, history repeats itself, right? And even in different geographies. But every time it repeats itself, the price goes up. Yeah, that is very, very <laughs> true. I like that. I like that. So, so there's an interesting. Now, a couple other points just to fill in some, some gaps. Uh, one is I want to talk about Persia. Persia, in the, us in the West, we don't talk about Persia that much. Mm -hmm. I myself find it fascinating. It is a problematic because of the dearth of written records. We yeah. simply don't have a lot of written records. Well, and as, as we mentioned before, the, a lot of written information we have about the Persians was written by the Greeks. So, yeah. not or, the best. Or Romans. And, yeah, exactly. Either way, not great sources. <laughs> if you want to look at it in the, in the scope of history, the Romans and the Persians, the Parthians, whoever also, you know, occupied that land, they fought a 700-year war. Yeah. They were at each other's throats, off and on, for just over 700 years. In fact, if it wasn't for the fact that they were still at each other's throat as the Byzantines, 
And as, uh, as you know, I can't remember the name of they were called. The Ottomans? Uh, no, we're for the Ottomans. No. I don't remember. Oh, sorry. I've gone blank here. Um, <laughs> in around the 6th, they, they per- we'll call them Persians. They, they had won, actually, against the, the uh, Byzantine in the 1620s, only to 20 years later to be slammed by the forces of the jihad, you yeah. know, of, of, of the Muslims. And they they brought in this, well, they were a weakened state anyways from all this fighting. Yeah. And, of course, history completely changed. Uh, interesting to note, why do we think, it's not the only reason, mm-hmm. I think that the Muslims were well-led. They were exceptionally well-led and they were spirited and they were inspired. Mm-hmm. Never in us in the West ever just dismiss the the Muslim warlords, the Muslim fighting, as being dismissive. Oh yeah, they conquered a bunch of land. Big deal. No, it was it was a, a huge deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, they were well organized. They were in, inspired, and they did not come in and in any kind of religious, high religious persecution. They either had to pay higher taxes if yeah. you were not going to be part of the faith but they were going to leave you alone yeah they were firm believers in trade and hey you know what uh, if the shekels can trade we'll 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 trade yeah uh but the thing about it was they were able to take advantage of of this bit of this weather mm-hmm. issue because they were more organized than their defendants who were suffering from uh water shortages we know all along north africa in particular, all the Roman cities that had reported excellent crops. Uh, remember, you can't quite compare it to today where we have artificial uh, irrigation. Yeah, that's true. Got it. They had to rely on, you know, hand, if not anything, hand ditches mm-hmm. at best. But they report the growing area was, was as much as 300 kilometers from the Mediterranean. Today, you're lucky if you get 30 kilometers. Yeah. So obviously something was different at this time, and then it dries up. Yeah. It dried up just before the Muslim invasion, mm-hmm. which meant you had a weakened society as well. Yeah. So that helped. And if you can't feed your soldiers, they can't defend you very well. Yeah. So yeah. It, I think weather may have been just one of the lucky breaks for the, uh, you know, the forces of jihad, as like it was for the forces of Rome yeah. 800 years oh, earlier as the cycle patterns of weather cycles Jeez. go up and down. Now, it, it's not exact fit. But. No, but it's 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 a theory and and when you're looking at things in terms of cycles and and history repeating itself like that it's interesting to see that there's these insane and and monumental events throughout history that happen to coincide with these shifting climates and shifting weather weather patterns and it actually makes me think of uh, now I haven't read this book but I'm I've I've heard about it. It's been on my list for a while. Uh, called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Oh yeah, classic book. And um, and now my understanding of it is that it essentially argues that geography is the reason for dictated human history, where you know depending on where resources were, that and then trade routes, and that's why people set up by rivers and and bodies of water, this and that. Um, but I would expect that climate is a very large part of that as well, where between geography and climate, that sort of hand in hand would pave the way for human history. Well, I'm going to do a shout out to one one final book before we wrap up, and that's mm. to Kyle Harper's book, The Fate of Rome. Now, he focuses on Rome, uh, on, on climate, mm-hmm. on uh, diseases, 
and on some of the political decisions that are less obvious in history, uh, I, I felt that, in fact, I, I, I listened to it as an audio book, and I yeah. would recommend it as a very insightful book, giving us a, a snapshot of a society dealing with the, the, the onslaught of, of plagues and of disease and of, of good things. They mm -hmm. took advantage of good things, even though they were unwitting they had no idea this was going on behind, yeah. you know, in, in the background. So, hmm. yeah. Well, and actually, j just before we, we close off, I, I do want to draw something, things back where, you know, we've, we talked before about how prevalent climate is in our modern society. We're talking about oh, you know, yeah. climate accords and climate change and, and um, greenhouse gases and this and that. But when you look back through the historical record, it's astonishing how prevalent it has been throughout all of human history. I mean, it was literally, it was climate that shaped religions. People ancient peoples didn't have the understanding of modern science that we do today. And so they formed religions around them. It was the gods who controlled weather. It were these, these deities, these entities that they could appeal to and, and gain favor from. And that was the reason why things were good. It was the reason why things were bad. If they failed to, uh, to give them favor, you know, if there was a ship that was lost at sea, it was because Poseidon was angry with them. So all of these natural phenomena that we understand now the ancient peoples did not, and they literally formed religions out of them to understand. Like, I can't even begin to go on about how much that shaped society, how well, yeah. the impact that climate had on society, just through that. Yeah, we can't make fun of them. That was, in a sense, a logical conclusion when you lacked scientific knowledge. Yeah, well, was, that's, that's, that's human nature in a nutshell, where if we yeah. don't understand something, we try and put a reason to it. We and tell a as, story. We tell a story, and then as we learn and learn more, we adjust the story accordingly that's to right. fit with the new information. You know, that's just how things, how things have always been for us. Well, I think the study of uh, ancient climate patterns will increase. Mm -hmm. There will be more research, more data is going to come in. It may be able to give us a much better picture of how the ancient peoples dealt with the vastitudes of, of climate and change. Yep. So there we go. That wraps up our, our two-parter. Thank mm -hmm. you very much for listening to that. We will uh, do uh, check out our social media content and yep. leave us a message, and we'd love to hear your comments. And uh, yeah, we're, on, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter now as well, and uh, we are talking about getting a YouTube channel going. Yeah, we so will be working on, on that there. one. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, thanks again for listening. Uh, to us, our latest episode here at Ancient Answers. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And have a great, great day. Mm -hmm.